You're listening to Can I Help You with the Love Master himself, Craig Shoemaker. This is Craig Shoemaker, the Virgin Podcast. I've gone over a, a thousand different names, processes. Well, why does anyone want to listen to this podcast? Do I do a niche podcast about gardening or um, married to a vegan wife, a steak eater? Uh, do I make it about uh, comedy? Been a comedian for a long time. Parenting. There's so many different niches. So I decided to come up with a title. Craig Shoemaker, can I help you? I've been doing this for years of this helping thing. Some people might call it rescuing. I tend to do this ever since I was a child. I fatherless my dad left and I was always trying to fix people and help people uh they called me uncle shoe back in high school uncle shoe uh, what do I do about this girl I try to fix everybody up with girls and fix girls up with guys by the way the, the word girls I have to always watch that I'm referring to girls because it's back in high school and below my sister has me so trained, I'd say, yeah, I met this girl. And she goes, oh, excuse me, was she under 18? Okay, enough with the, I, I get it. So now I'm, I've been drilled to be this feminist of saying, woman. I could be talking about my daughter who's in preschool. I said, oh, did you meet any women there? I, I just have it so drilled into my head. But I'm, I'm starting to go back to girl, girls and guys. It's not sexist, right? It doesn't matter. But anyway, I, ever since I was a kid, I, I would write letters to people. I talk about my act. I wrote letters to Paul Lynn, the Center Square, to fix them up with my mother. I wrote to Tim McCarver. I, baseball cards, I could care less what they hit. I'd look for one thing, marital status. I'd say, oh, look at this one, Tim McCarver. He's a catcher, and I'm a pitcher, and he could teach me how to pitch in the backyard. He could be my stepdad. He could marry my mother. He's Irish. She loves Irish. My mother's always searching for her roots. And I, her, her last name is Loney, but it was O'Looney at one time. No coincidence, I became a comedian. But uh, I, I called her Kunta O'Looney because she would always go back and search for her roots in Ireland. So she loved Irish people. Always does. And Tim McCarver was the guy. He was a great catcher for the Phillies, my team. And I, I wrote him a letter. I got it through this. There was this Philadelphia Phil and Phyllis. They were kind of like mascots, and they, they lived in our neighborhood. I said, can you get this, can you get this uh, letter to Tim McCarver? I don't know if they ever did, but he never wrote me back. I put a little return envelope on there with our address. I put a photo of my mother. I think I put her in her belly dancing outfit. She was also known as Shaharazad. It was a little phase that she went through. She did it to get in shape. She thought it would be really cool. It's like an art form. But anyway, he never wrote back. But I find that a lot of times things in life, if you have something that's organic and true, that it comes back eventually. Uh, sometimes a really long time that it comes back. I want to write a book called God's a Slow Motherfucker. Sometimes, like in this case, Joe Buck is his broadcast partner. For many years, and Joe Buck came to my show, and I got to know him a little bit, and I told him the story about Tim McCarver, and he laughed, and he said, oh, Tim would love that, and 
I never met Tim McCarver, but I did get a ball from Joe Buck signed by Tim McCarver. It says, Dear Son, Time to Grow Up. Love, Dad. It's my favorite ball that I have. I've got a lot of like memorabilia at my house, but I, that is my cherished ball. Still never met my dad, Tim McCarver. But that was the kind of thing that I've done. And I said, that's what I'll do for the podcast. So no matter who we're interviewing, maybe I can help them. Maybe I won't. Maybe it'll just be conversation. We'll tell stories and things. But I just didn't want it to be about, oh, here's another comedian telling stories about himself and we could do interviews this way. Maybe somebody has a concern. Well, we have a guest today sitting right next to me. And uh, here at our new studios, we have production studios here in Westlake Village. We're trying to bring Hollywood to Westlake. In other words, I'm trying to get off the road. I've been doing comedy for a very, very long time. And here's someone that has been doing comedy for a very short time. One of the things I've always enjoyed is mentoring comedians. And I have them open for me on the road had many of them through the years, Jason Duty and Dana Eagle and Richard Ronovich, Stanley Ullman, Paul Lyons. And they've come to me in different forms. Some of them are headliners that say, hey, I need a little work. Richard Ronovich was selling knives at Costco. And I called him up and said, hey, you want to open for me? And there he was. And we toured together for a few years. And I really do enjoy helping people. How can I help you? So, Cody Loggins is here with us. Welcome, Cody. Thank you, Craig. You can talk now. Pleasure to be there. I I was waiting for the formal introduction. Didn't want to step on the intro. I I thought you could have giggled a couple times with it. I was the invisible man. I was purely fly on the wall. I I could tell them you you just walked in, so they'd think that maybe the stuff was funny. Sorry I'm late. I just got here. Traffic was crazy. So, Cody Loggins, you might recognize his last name. Loggins, and the reason Cody came to me was I toured with Kenny Loggins. How do you describe him? Oh, him? Uh, Not as your dad, but I mean, how would you describe him to an audience? To an audience who had no idea. I would describe him as a a famous musician. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, I would say, hit his stride right after he started his solo career. He was in Loggins and Messina. Yeah, they Back were great. He was young, um, starts a solo career, really hits a stride, hits a couple soundtracks. That was his thing, and then really picked up from there. That's when it picked up. That's yeah. when the money came in too. Yeah, that was you know early eighties, mid eighties, nineties. Now, did you notice it being his son? Did you notice the the, the 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 money that came in? Suddenly, you're living one place, and then you live in a much bigger place. You know, it's interesting. Thanks I used to danger zone. A lot of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did live in the danger zone for a small amount of time. It was a uh, we. People often ask me, how was it growing up with a famous father? And it's and it's interesting because I, I have no context. It's, you know, yeah. for me, it just was an experience that was exclusive to me. Um, but specifically about the living in different houses thing, when I, I can say I lived in about 13 different houses by the time I was 18. Oh, wow. We have that in common. Isn't that crazy? I come from poverty and you come from... I guess you could say wealth. I mean, it's certainly footloose, I'll, I'll say pulled that. in a few bucks, right? Yeah, yeah he was doing okay. Yeah, we, we were not wanting. The, yeah, and we were. I actually, when I was a kid, I actually thought the word evict meant move. I thought <laughs> they were the same word. But you were moving for different reasons. We were moving because we had to. My mom would read a notice. She'd cry. So I just thought evict meant move. I'd just pack up it's the It's a ba- trigger word for moving. Was yeah. a, <laughs> it is a trigger for me. It's very sad. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I still keep a box packed, but thinking... 
Yeah, I we lived in, uh, I think that's the same number, about 14, 15 homes by the time I was in high school. Yeah. And uh, all rentals. Yeah. So there was no sense of permanence. But you, you also didn't have a sense of permanence. No sense of permanence, no. And we moved around a lot. And he, he took me on the road with him touring occasionally, too. And I remember, like, a lot of vivid memories. When I was young in school, I would take a week and go tour with him. And they would give me all my homework in a manila envelope. And, you know, be like, you'll finish this by the time you get back. And I'd be like, yeah, like I finish it when I'm home. I'll see you never, sucker. (laughs) Did did you get special treatment in in school? Uh, I don't know about special treatment. I mean, I. Like the teacher, like, says, uh, okay, you didn't finish this, but uh, dad's coming to the Santa Barbara Bowl. Maybe you could get me some tickets and backstage. I skimmed by. I got C's and D's in, in school. I didn't do you well. Did? I didn't do well in school by any means. No. Really? School was not my thing. Well, no. you're a bright guy, and, and appreciate. That. I've actually said this for a long time, and maybe again, can I help you? Is who's ever listening? I think there's a something to be said for you know spirituality or law of attraction. When if you don't have something when you're a child of um, a sense of self, if that. Mm-hmm. If your esteem has been built upon someone else who doesn't have self-esteem, like a parent, like my parents, I didn't think that I was anything. I just thought I was dumb and I didn't test well. But I now, looking back on it, a lot of it had to do with stress. Yeah. You can't take tests. You can't do well if you have stress. Yeah. If you're wondering where you're going to live, you're wondering. I used to get beat up and in different neighborhoods because you're trying to fit in. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So I had this idea that I was dumb. And I actually had someone else take my SATs. I just admitted it. I don't think anyone's going <laughs> to yeah. come for me. Yeah, no, There's a whole board of people that are after you. Now, <laughs> now that I announced that yeah. they're going to take away my college degrees. But so Tom, sorry to hear that. Tommy Taylor took my I paid him. And he's very smart. He got me a real high score because my score was terrible. Hmm. I had no confidence. I and really here I am like a sucker, just sitting in my own shitty score. <laughs> <laughs> I got a crap score on the SATs. I didn't even think to pay somebody. <laughs> See? What, that, well, I guess I was clever and entrepreneurial, even back then. Yeah. So that paid for me to get me the chance to go to college. Because we all have this potential. We're all potent. That's the word potential has potency. Yeah, and, and school is an interesting thing, too, for me. It always is a fascinating thing because school is a set curriculum that te- it, a lot of people just think like, oh, well, you know, kids go through this course of schooling and they come out the other end. And if they make it great, if they don't, they don't. Mm-hmm. And specifically for me, there was this element of, you know, certain classes I excelled at. Like for some reason, geometry, loved it. Got a really? great, got an A in geometry. Uh, physics, loved it. If I have any trapezoid issues, I know who to go to. Yes, if you, <laughs> the next time you have a trapezoid issue, see a doctor as well. That's... If I'm trapped in a trapezoid, <laughs> I know how to get out. I go to Cody Loggins. Just come to me. So that was your thing. And obviously I had mine as well that you resonate with. Yeah. And, but I had such self-doubt and such worry, uh, you know, and, and also, in my case, it was the food. I understand now, if you feed someone, you know, if, if you're eating good food, nutritious food, it helps your brain. Mm-hmm. Everything is, and I know this all now in retrospect. Yeah. And this is what I wanted to share with everyone. So I was told I was these things and believed that I was these things, these, this lack, limitation, worry, stress, and I tested very poorly. But there was always this... No, you. I would read old report cards. You ever read old report cards? No, I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine are great. They all say the same thing. It's consistent. You know, the 
they always liked me because of the sense of humor, and I would make them laugh, but they always said he's not living up to his potential. Yeah. And now I understand what that means is, yes, we every single human being, I believe, has this potency that wants to emerge, but we push it down through external factors. Mm-hmm. Someone's telling you that you're not this. Even a teacher's telling you, that, or your peers are telling you, oh, you're not this. reflecting from society exactly. that you're not supposed to be something. You're or, not sp- yeah. or you are supposed to be something you're not. Or they want you to be something that you're not. Yeah. So where you are organically and authentically, they want to steer you in a different direction, mm-hmm. whether it's projection, or their own fears, whatever it is, and that's the way you take. Try to fit in. I'm like, oh, man, okay, I'll try to fit in. I always said I wouldn't join a fraternity very first year I joined a fraternity the only one that ever lived in the house while being hazed yeah like an idiot I was like their their servant but I did these things because these are the moves that were made to sort of just to try to feel like I was a part of anyway here's this story I wanted to tell I went through all of this doubt I ended up going to college and then I went to a better college because I did well I made Dean's list because well, I went away. Da. Look <laughs> at you. Well, then you missed the part of it. Then I made the list of the dean wanted to see in his office. It was that, it was that <laughs> Fair fast. Fair enough. It was, the, it was that fast. Nice the, follow, the following year, I went right back to my old ways because I focused on what other people told me to focus on, like drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Which should pot. be a class or, in its own. Right? Yeah, I would have I would ace that one. So, yeah, then I started to get bad grades. And I started to you know, act in a way that was... N- I was alone at first, and that's when I got to be me because there was no one else around. There was no one from my high school that was at my college. No one. I was. I drove 300 miles away. I hitchhiked, actually, to go to college. That's the literal starting over. Hmm. Then I drove an ambulance. My father traded me. I, I visited him once, and all of a sudden he took my car and he gave me an old ambulance. Oh, I it. thought you were going you were an EMT. I no, was I like, was I never that. that. No, no, that was never organically what I was ever going to be. So you drove around and faked it. Although I saved someone's life the other day. I'll talk about that another time. But I drove a 65 Cadillac ambulance, bright orange. It said Blakely Borough mm-hmm. Ambulance. And literally, I had to pull over every hundred miles to fill it with oil. It just was <laughs> oil. It just dumped oil everywhere, and I, not gas, oil. Yeah. So, and then it had no floorboard, so if it rained, it came up into the car. It's Naturally. Like, that yes, I was Fred Flintstone. If I wanted to break, I oh, put man. my feet down on the ground. So I drove this old hearse, Cadillac ambulance to college, and I was a big hit. <laughs> they said that's the guy with the ambulance, and so. I go away to college, and I go to another college, and that went really, that did not go well at all in Philadelphia and Temple University. But then some things stuck, things that I was learning in class, some things stuck. And then what happened was I started to take my own path, and that's when this person evolved into what's here today. And I just took a test recently, and I really thought I was a moron. I mean, I was told I was a moron. I took a test, and then I took another test, and both of them said, "This is don't go la-di-da, genius. Yeah. That's what it told me. It says you're up there with Tesla, very high IQ score. So the IQ score was not that way, and what's the reason for that? Hmm. The reasons for it was stress. The reason was conditions, conditioning, environment, and all of that. And that's where I'm trying to get the word out and the message out is, 
you can be whatever you want to be. And I didn't believe that either. I thought that was a bunch of crap. Yeah. You can be whatever you want to be. Well, I think it's interesting that you were talking about, you know, education and, and finding your path because I don't know if you know this, but essentially that's what led me to you and this yeah. company and for you to mentor me as a comedian. When, you know, people would ask me that existential question, what do you want to be? You know, I'm, I'm 36 years old and I reached a point in my life where I've, I'd been working in restaurants for 17 years. I've tried doing electrical work for three years. Mm. I, I dabbled in a bunch of instant gratification jobs that weren't cutting it for me. And always had this instinct, like, I want to make people laugh. Yeah, essentially. And when that was the, sort of the fallback whenever somebody would say, well, think about it this way. What do you want to do? What's your passion? Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, it's a loaded question. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I, I want to be an astronaut. It's like, no, I don't care about any of that shit. I just, since I was a kid, since I was a little kid, I've always used comedy as a coping mechanism. I've, you know, times get tough. I try and make people laugh. It's a great diffuser. It's a great diffuser, and it works, and it's always worked. And I've thought to myself, you know, what what do I get off on? What's my passion? Is sitting around a group of people and saying something that makes everyone in that room laugh because it makes everybody happy and it lifts up everybody's spirit. A better feeling you will not find. No, it's powerful. It is, it is. and uh, it actually talk about diffusing. I, I was driving in Philadelphia one time, and I was with these two women and my buddy. And I, this guy, I was like, hey, get out of the way, you know. And then I start, like, acting tough in front of these women. I was single at the time, and they were single. And I, was, and I started cursing at him. We're driving along the street. And then he pull, he makes sure that I pull over. I'm not kidding you. The guy gets out of his car. He never stopped growing. It was, it was like a tree. He's this giant guy. And I went, whoa, I'm not tough anymore. And I, it was like. Click the lights on in the ambulance and took off. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. And this guy goes, you know, he's, he's coming at me. And all of a sudden he goes, hey, you're Craig Shoemaker, the comedian. <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, I am. Yes. Oh, I am. And then uh, and my buddy gets out of the car and he starts mouthing off. I'm going, no, 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 this is settled. We're all good yeah, here. Yeah, and this is Groucho Marx. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know him as well. So comedy can be a good thing. It gets you out of tr parking tickets. Yeah. Uh, it gets you out of oh, uh, traffic man. tickets. I, I don't want to say this on, on air, but I've been – pulled over a handful of times knock the, on wood you use the login's name well i use my id when they ask me for it and then and then i have yet to receive a ticket no yeah they say logins that's a familiar name any relation any relation to there's another singer by the way logins right? is, what is there are you, Crosby, I, my brother? I cannot no, I cannot believe you don't know this. I don't know shit about this whole site. We went through this before in the car. I completely I was like telling you trivia about your dad. Not you go, only that, but I didn't know he wrote that. Oh no, I, it, I, it it goes deeper. The other day when we were at the at your show in or our show I should say in Burbank, uh Jordan comes up to me and says, oh, "I loved that that movie um uh some movie about weightlifting, professional weightlifting that my dad did the soundtrack for." And I was like, "Excuse me?" Actually, I I might have told you also he did the oh uh, over the arm top. Wrestling. You told me about over the top. Over the, this did, happens to me on a regular did the basis. Stallone classic over the top. I know his. I know his big uh, obvious hits. But he'll come up to me every once in a while and be like, "Oh yeah, did I ever tell you about the time I did this?" And I'm like, "No, you didn't tell me about that." So the other logins is not related to you. I, I've got, we're they're, gonna. They're, I can't believe I have to have <laughs> Kenny's son google his dad to find out if the other logins is related I'm he sure. might be some long lost uncle we've got I'm a lot blanking of we've on got his got first extended name. family so the cops see logins and they go okay so now how you came to me was talk about law of attraction i've been playing comedy clubs i get this big break 
our mutual friend Peter Pomeranz. Love Did Peter. You know that? Absolutely, yeah. You know, Peter was the one that set this up. Peter set it up originally too, didn't he? That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. He set yeah, he you up set with me up with your dad. Wasn't like you know Tinder or anything. He, he set me long up before Tinder. To, to, he set me up. This is how we did it. To, with, yeah, you just did face to face. For a mutual the, friend. <laughs> so, and suddenly I am playing stadiums. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I'm at the you know the Greek Theater and on Broadway. We ended up on Broadway together. We toured a year and a half. One of the best times of my life because I've been solo. You know, you might work with a few comedians, but here I am with feedback from the bass player and the. I'm still friends with a lot of these guys, the drummer Tris, and I'm having a blast. It was like summer camp, and we mm -hmm. all toured together. And you would show up with you know, a nanny or whatever. <laughs> what, what are they called? Nanny? I guess. Yeah, nanny, babysitter, The one nanny. who gave massages. What was Oh, Mary? Mary, yeah. yeah. You would show up with Mary, and I have a picture of us at the Smithsonian. We went to the Smithsonian together. Did you know that? You and I. Toured I was going to say you and Mary. Yeah. No, you and I right. toured the Smithsonian. My first time there was with you. I gave you the tour at seven years old. Yes, you knew a lot more than I did <laughs> at seven years old. See, you, you were brilliant. So yeah, we saw the Air and Space Museum. Awesome. I, I remember it all. And you said, and they told me, "Oh, Cody wants to be a comedian." So obviously, we put that to rest for years. I never saw you again. Yeah, since flash seven forward years thirty old. years. Yeah, flash forward. Kenny says. My son moved to Hollywood. Uh, would you talk to him? And that's how it happened. He said, would you talk to him about comedy? I said, sure. I love to talk to people about comedy. And maybe I can be of assistance, you know, in this co new career endeavor is what you're about to embark. Most people don't start. It's like you and Rodney Dangerfield. You have that in common with him. He sold aluminum well, siding. Only that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, it's tough to be tall. <laughs> Cody 6'9", by the way, which was the big surprise to me. I hadn't seen you since seven years old. Show up at my office. I'm thinking, oh, Kenny's little kid. <laughs> yeah, right? I, mean, I had this visual. <laughs> even if you were older, I still had the visual of this this kid that I'm going to help. This 36-year-old, nine man shows up and... Uh, I okay. How's it going? And immediately we started honing and crafting your material. And in a very short time, you're already a professional stand-up comic. That was your first money you ever received, it's, right? Yeah, it's been an amazing leap. I mean, I, I I went from essentially I moved here six months ago to Hollywood. I'd done a little bit of comedy before that. I hit the ground running with open mics. You know the usual do's rigmarole that you go through when you start doing comedy it's like one o'clock in the morning right yeah i mean when essentially somebody says like what's your passion what do you want to do and i think to myself i want to be a stand-up comedian and i'm like great well now i'm going to be paying two drink minimums for the rest of my life to do three minute sets in in, in a lottery style open mic yeah for those that don't know they have these bringer shows as well right yeah. and tell people what a bringer show is well you bring people in in order to go up yeah that's it's the, like promoting it's like an earn your keep yeah by you, it's kind of like Amway. It's kind of like multi-level marketing. You bring the crowd, we'll let you on stage. You bring six people, and we'll give you a decent time. Is that how it works? Yeah. You know, I, I luckily enough, I never had to bark with flyers or anything like that. But yeah, people you know, do I that. I skipped that stage because essentially I meet Craig, and he helps me with the material. I open for him one night at at uh, Claremont Flappers. I'll just plug them since they let me go on stage. How about that? That and, was your debut. Uh, that was my debut. Professional debut. And it was interesting because I came into this industry with this idea and all this writing that I'd been doing for 10 plus years and all these jokes I wanted to do and this style I wanted to utilize. 
and I do my first act, and then the next day, you and I, Craig and I, were were riding to uh, do our second show together. The next night, we rode together in the car, and he's like, "Listen, this is what you got to do." <laughs> all, Did I put it that way? All that all that shit you've got. Drop it. Forget about it. We're going to rewrite your whole set. He's, I was doing observational comedy. I was doing conversational humor. I was doing, you know, um, I would act out a scene between three people, and none of it was authentic to me. None of it was true to my life. None of it was specific to... Well, what, you said the right word. You're observing, yeah. not being. Yeah. And that's what I try to get to, however I worded it. Yeah. And you it got, was... You got to rewrite it. When it, people it, imitate me, by the way, it's always, hey, always, <laughs> hey, mother, <laughs> hey, asshole, you gotta, you gotta change, take all that stuff and put it in your ass, you trash it. <laughs> That's how people imitate me. It's, it's amazing <laughs> me. I always think I'm this soft, gentle, you know. So then owl. Craig says to me, "What you have to do is you to take all that material and put it aside." I yeah, I probably was a little more direct than that, but what but, I uh, said yeah. was, which is most important, if anyone can get this in anything that you do is you must be yourself. What's that self that wishes to emerge? That's what we were talking about earlier. Is is this a self that wants to make people laugh? Do you want to assist people by being an EMT and you want to be a doctor, whatever it is? What is driving you? Yeah. Is something internal. It's not external. And that's all external. You're you're commenting. If you're mm-hmm. doing an observational act, you're commenting and it's kind of copying other comedians oh i've seen this one do this but to me everything changed i never told you this mid 90s on fire i I mean i just come off tour with your dad and you know i'm winning awards and packing the audiences back in those days by the way i don't want to date myself date myself you want to go out i don't think so uh you just denied yourself (laughs) i just of course i did (laughs) But back then, I actually had, I was the first one with like a fan club mailing list Mm -hmm. for comics, and I just generated a lot of business, and it went really well. And then I said, why don't I have a sitcom? Everyone had a sitcom at the time. Ellen DeGeneres, Drew Carey, obviously Seinfeld, and Tim Allen, the list was endless. And I'd say to my managers and agents, they said, well, it's because you don't have a point of view. I said, and I argued, of course, my filly. Hey, what are you talking about point of view? I have a point of view. Everybody's got a point of view. My point of view is I don't have a point of view. What about that? My point of view is you're an asshole. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I'm making a point. that, uh, And then I would actually, yeah, I'd say stuff like to them. I'd say, you heard that from everybody else. You'd be, Hollywood's unoriginal. I have all these speeches, but guess who doesn't have a sitcom still? So then I thought about it. I, I Then I would argue. Seinfeld doesn't have a point of view. It's a show about nothing. You know, right? Yeah. No point of view. That's how he pitched it. That's exactly, and it became a show about nothing. And all of these comics were surpassing me, even though I was killing it on stage. But what happened was I said, okay, put the brakes on. No longer my manager, but it, that stayed with me. It was one of those ha-ha moments. I said, okay, what is your point of view? Where are you coming from? And from that point forward, all the material that was written was experiential. For instance, I don't do politics. If I did do politics, I do on Twitter, and I, you know, I do what everybody does. I do you know, my little arguments <laughs> on Facebook, but I usually come from experience. So I'm not going to say something about Donald Trump necessarily in my act, but I would if I shared that I've met him and he cheats in golf. Mm-hmm. So if there's a, I don't have the story yet, but I do. I've watched him cheat in golf personally. 
I just had a John McCain thing. I met John McCain. I met a number of people. So that becomes a story. So like Patrick Stewart, I don't think you've heard. I do a bit about Patrick Stewart. You know who he is. Haven't heard it yet, but you know, I haven't yeah. heard your bit yet. I do a bit because I met him on the set, set of a movie we did, and I played his best friend, a movie called Safe House. And the first day on the set, I do impressions. That's what I always did. I hid, by my, hid behind my impressions. People love impressions. That's why I became a headliner very fast. Because, oh, he does impressions, and you can get away with so much more. They don't have to necessarily listen. They applaud afterwards. It's kind of a rhythm that's different than just doing being a monologist. It's like a guitar act. There's prop acts. A lot of monologists do not like anyone that does any of the above. They become snobs about it. But I say, I'm just going to keep going with these impressions. And it's celebrities being born, coming out of a womb, and you know all these and fun bits, and obviously help me advance. But that was the moment where I said, okay, if I'm, Pat, I do a Patrick Stewart impression. I did it for him on the first day of this set. He's like this regal Shakespearean actor. I walked up to him, make it so number one. He looks at me, you're a dick. Go do your comedy skit elsewhere, El Segundo or wherever you go. <laughs> I never heard of El Segundo, but every time I pass it now, you know I always see the sign, I go, El Segundo. There's an El Segundo. And I loosened him up, by the way. We worked together for a while. I said, Patrick, come on, man. What was it like when you were growing up in England? When you were a kid, you weren't like a sir? Shakespeare? That was, no. I said, you ever do what I did in Philadelphia? You're in front of a full-length mirror. You're naked. You tuck your jewels back by your ass. You see what you look like as a woman? I said, you ever do that? You ever give yourself a mangina? He goes, yes, Craig, I've done a mangina. Every man has. You're naked in bed. One leg goes over the other. It disappears. You have a mangina. I said, perfect. I got him where I want him now. I said, did you ever do Rocket Man? What's Rocket Man, Craig? I'm intrigued. I said, well, if you're circumcised, you tuck it back into the launch pad and you go five, four, three, two, you let it go, you have a Rocket Man. He goes, let's go home and do Rocket Man. Engage! <laughs> so, uh, if I were to do an impression on stage, it has to be now something that I've experienced. I, you know, I still do Don Knotts. It's an old standby. Yeah, you told me something specific that actually resonated with me, and I still remember it. Uh, you you said, you know, I was I came in trying to do all these things and, and had this preconceived image of what my stand-up was going to be, and you said, listen, you are in a unique position. No other stand-up comedian on the planet has the opportunity to do jokes about being 6'9 and Kenny Loggins' son. Yes, two things that no one else has and on the planet. It took me a second to register that, you know, these are the things that are going to make me unique and and truthful. And truthful. That's and the stay most important honest thing to you, myself and my story. You are it's obviously exaggerated truth, but there's it's it, I, it, there's an absolute kernel of truth in everything you say from that point forward mm -hmm. because you're saying this is the premise. I am Kenny Loggins' son. Now, I know you had the fear. I'm sure you probably still do. I don't want to go on my father's coattails and all that, right? Of course. It's deep-seated. Yeah. Ingrained. Yeah. And, you know, because you've been his son all this time and it, your identity, I'm sure there's been identity crisis with it. If you were to be a musician, forget about it. Everybody's going to compare you to Kenny Loggins. I've like seen your it brother. Happen. seen it happen. Yeah. Your brother became a musician. Mm -hmm. So... If you can stay with that mantra of I'm always going to share of myself. So it became, as I was saying back in the 90s, I go, okay, share instead of tell. Share your story. Don't tell them a story or tell them how to feel. The feelings will come out 
by my feelings in telling the story. So now I've added something, you know, the bit I do about the being burnt at the football field. That's, a, that's not a comedy bit, necessarily. That's not observational. It's not jokey. But it's so true to who I am. The passion shows. It, it, oh, it does? It comes through. Well, it, I can it, tell that it, that's like the most in – your, in your whole set, I've seen your set a lot of times. And each time I see it, that specific joke in that part – comes through as the most emotional and you're smiling the most and you're having the most fun telling mm -hmm. that part because I can tell it's true. Yeah. And every inch of it, you know, at the end of it, you feel proud. I can tell you feel proud about how it ended. <laughs> and it's like all the other jokes. I feel proud that I was burnt for a 62-yard touchdown and blew the shutout. For everybody knew years. your fucking name. <laughs> that is true. Everyone in that stadium, I snuck into the game and, and they all knew my name you now. You see your face when you drop the end of that joke. And it's like I can tell you're beaming with pride. And it's just, this, well, you yeah. know, because it's the most true part of your act. I'm sure. I mean, it's all true, but like I'm, that part resonates. I'm beaming with self-defecating pride. Which is the I, best I shit kind. I shit on myself. <laughs> so, I enjoy that though. I mean, that's the other aspect of truth is we're all human, and that's what they relate to. So mm -hmm. if you can understand an audience's perspective, they're sitting in the audience and they're going, "Oh, I felt that before. I never want to feel that again." Or I know someone who's felt like that. I know they are absolutely resonating with something that you're saying. So, for instance, you might be Kenny Loggins' son. But you open up with a self-deprecating joke of saying, I know no one's here to see me because that's the way I grew up. No one was ever there to see me. Mm -hmm. Now, there's so such truth to that. But how many people have experienced that? They don't have to be a famous person's kid. Yeah, it's universal. They, it's universal. That feeling of there's someone else in the room that's more important than me. There's someone in the room that people pay attention it, to. It and taps not into me. a primal self-worth issue that yeah. everybody carries with them. Exactly. For one reason or another, we all have a self-worth issue that we yeah. we think we're lesser for A, B, or C. And the, si the and the six nine. There are very few people in the audience six nine that can yeah. relate to that. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much pretty much nobody. Well, we have our gig with the Lakers. I, I think you'll be the great crowd. You, you'll be the, the, the <laughs> that's a perfect crowd for you. Change my whole set for that. <laughs> Magic Johnson will be. I mean, uh, LeBron will be in the audience. Oh my God, I can relate. <laughs> I bump my head too. I can't breathe. <laughs> I I haven't seen a I haven't seen a bottom shelf either. Yeah, yeah they're they're gonna be. Oh, you're gonna kill with the oh, with the man. Laker gig that we'll have coming up. But it, but they're relating to everyone has been to something. We've all been too short, too skinny, too fat, too something, too ugly, too white. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I I needed I needed the help. And I'll tell you firsthand, being a part of this and having you step up and drag me along for the glorious ride. <laughs> it's been an incredible help, and it's it's. The advice you gave me the first and second show I did with you catapulted me five years through trial and error. Wow. I would have been standing on stage with my dick in my hand for five years with no idea on why mm. why aren't people feeling this way. And you told me about a tantric relationship with the crowd. You taught me how to stand on stage immediately in order to build energy and mm. to build tension and then to let the crowd hold on to that tension. And then a punchline is... A cue for a release where everybody has permission to release the tension at once. Well, that's not tantric. You don't get a release in tantric. <laughs> <laughs>
Which is the, yeah. the good kind of tantric. I tried tantric a few times. Kind of that, was, that was not happening. Wait, wait a second. I'm just going to prolong her pleasure, <laughs> and I don't get to have my release. Sort of a. It was an ebb and flow, an energy flow that just sort of like yeah. it, and it triggered, and it works, and it. Uh, there's a science to stand up, and every day you were teaching me more and more about power words and punch words and. Yeah, hard P's I, and T's and K's. And I hate to give those secrets away for anyone listening, but yeah, that's one of my secrets. Is I I search for B words. That's my thing. I love B words. I used to have a bit in my act about wedding gifts, and I would go, "Ooh, a bowl." Mm-hmm. You don't know how much I want a bowl, and people would people would use that word. All there's no punchline except for the hard bowl is a funny word. It's funnier than ladle. Well, ladle's kind of funny, but um, ladle's but, hilarious. K's, that's one hundred and one. K, B, and P. Those are they're called punch lines. They're not hug lines. And and alone, if I was doing three minute open mics here and there, how how long would it have taken me to figure that out on my own? It, I'm so happy. And and by the way, this show is called How Can I Help You. I will admit to you that I have mentored many comedians, and it's sad for me that many of them completely went away. And I have, you know, I'm really into my family. And these are like, you know, it's like they were uncles and aunts to my kids. That's how I also look at it. It's like, where'd they go? And there wasn't that. And I really appreciate you having that appreciation. Because I would say that all of them, when they would come to me, I'd say, I'll take your career and I'm going to put it in a microwave. Yeah. That's what it feels like. That's what it's like. You're going to be in front of A rooms, A crowds, adults, nice crowds. And that's what I will offer you. And here's what I will offer. Here's what I would like you to offer me, which is very rare for me to ask for something in return. Here's what you're going to do for me. I was even that way sexually. I said, I don't want a blowjob. <laughs> All guys always talk about blowjobs. And I don't want one from you either. And I don't. And it, but, well, that was what you led with <laughs> when we met. Was, I did not lead with that. I, I never liked blowjobs because I have to immediately reciprocate. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. We all have, have our thing. I don't like eating candy in the movie theater because I feel like I'm disturbing the people around me. We all have things. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> and by the way, it's true. My mother was always disturbed. Oh, I, I she have She would a say psych- the candy wrappers. I, to these people with the candy wrappers. I've got my a mother psychosis was... because of my mom about that kind of stuff. Oh, your mom's that way too? Oh, it's the bothering other people thing. It, yes. It, it, it's and how about disturbing your other people's time. I'm the you guy. You sit the... in the back row with oh, your height. Oh, are you kidding me? I can't. I can't sit. Like concerts, I stand in the back row. It's, you yeah. know, and, and at a party, I'm the guy going, you guys, it's midnight. We should probably keep it down. <laughs> and everybody's like, shut up, nerd. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Go to na- the corner back where you, where but, you started. But the neighbors, I'm sure they're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same thing. It's, it's like a terrible. codependence of Let it caring. Go. And by the way, does n- this is not good for being a comedian. No. Codependence. <laughs> that is not a good thing. I, I actually have had people in an audience. I remember the first time it ever happened was with your dad, actually. I was, we were touring together and it was in Cleveland. I will never forget this. And I'm going, and I, I got this, it was a Cuyahoga Falls, actually, in this beautiful outdoor theater. And I killed standing ovation opening for a rock act and this guy on there he's in the like the third row i'm going what's with him that's what I'm, they're standing going you're the best it was even a great review and everything and i'm going what's with that guy hmm. you know he's he was deaf he was in a wheelchair huh? <laughs> that's how bad it is well now i feel like an asshole i feel like yeah i, I looked closely and there's there's two wheels you know 
So no wonder he stays down. Everyone else is up, but that's how it works sometimes. Mm. But I guess that's also what makes for a comedian is if you did have that cockiness and if you didn't have care, if you just did whatever you wanted to do and no connection with the audience, then that probably wouldn't make for a great comic or it wouldn't make for a great life. Yeah. Because then you're just being selfish. And, and there are those people and they do make it in life, make it in quotes. You know, I don't think that they're happy and I, I know them. I I actually was th talking about this the other day, speaking of that, you know, it's like what we're seeking in life, you know, it's always this, out, it's all that outside stuff, you know. They always say money can't buy you happiness, but that becomes just a slogan because you, ah, it's, that's, you know, especially where I grew up, you know, I didn't have money. Ah, it's a bunch of crap. I love that money and I'll be plenty happy with money. And I took a tour of this guy's house once and he married into money. So it wasn't even his. Hmm. And he said the words to me. Can you believe what I have? He's showing me Picasso paintings. He's showing me this like nouveau riche stuff, right? And I actually had another haha -ha moment. I went, wait a minute. No one's happy here. I'm not happy getting this tour <laughs> at yeah. all. Yeah. Nobody's laughing. You think he's happy giving it? And he ain't happy giving it. Yeah. It's, he's, he's faux happy. And he's going, look what I have and check out this car. In the meantime, what's he doing to me? He's making me envious, jealous, um, resentful. So there's no... And what does he do once you're gone? Gives he another tour. Just kind of sits around <laughs> he, looking at his Picassos. Right. Like, wow, well, and there's this no, is it. There's, there's no one going... You're not laughing. You're not going, this Van Gogh, he chopped his ear off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no one laughing and having a great time when you're showing how much money you have. Yeah. So I can assure anyone. I have been there, and I've also had money done pretty well, not to the degree where people are going, oh, geez, but done very well. But I've been around people that have done extraordinarily well, like top of the rung when it comes to money. And I would venture to say not one of them do I want what they have. Do I not one of them do I say, oh, that's the life that I want. Every one of them has quite a bit of misery mm -hmm. and quite a bit of quite a lack of sense of purpose because they get there and then they go, oh my God, I got to get the next thing. Yeah, now, now they're in that line. You're never done. You're yeah. never satiated. People that get to that point are doing it because it's an addiction at that point. It, yeah. it, they can't get enough. Can't get enough. So they think, oh, I'm, I'm quote unquote rich now. I got to keep going. Yeah. I got to get more. I got to work harder. Yeah. I got to work longer hours. I got to sacrifice other parts of my life. The, the only parts I have left. Your Scarface. Yeah. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Yeah. Then you know, you're doing you blow off a pile in the middle of your table and by the way, speaking of Scarface, not to get off point, but I I was auditioning to play Al Pacino. It was a game, a Scarface game, and he's too old to play himself. Like he started off like in uh you know, the old movies like uh what was that um uh Attica, what was that one? Oh jeez, it was he was so good. I'm dying over here. I'm not. I'm with a guy who thinks Wyoming's a country. So that's the old him. And then there was Scarface. And now there's hooah. Yeah. Everything sounds like. So I had to do him an impression of him for this game. And he was the decider, by the way. And I made it to the finals. Me and one other guy. And I was. I got so into the impression. I had to take Tylenol afterwards because there's that scene. Say hello to my little friend. I probably just blew the microphone. <laughs> I had veins popping out of my head. So dedicated to getting this part, I became Al Pacino Scarface. Didn't get the part. I 
I blew a few I blew a few veins, didn't get the part. And I heard the guy is very good who got the part. So can't get jealous. <laughs> but the point is, is what do we want to do? And that's the point of this podcast. Is what do we want to do? What is the purpose? What is driving you? Where do you think you're going? Do you think you're going to this destination? Do you think there's a, an end to the journey? There's a, a point of you look at a bank account and go, whoa, I am loaded. What point do you get? As a matter of fact, how many rich people that we know are just still ripping off people, don't care about the oppressed? They just keep going on and on and on and hanging with that group. And then all of a sudden, your metric for happiness is the level of your bank account. Exactly. And as soon as that starts to slip, so does your happiness because yeah. they're directly correlated at a certain point. But they're never happy, And I can assure you. No, of course not. Yeah. And that's the thing is they always need more and people need more. But you need to set realistic metrics for your yeah. happiness. You need to understand that the journey is the destination. Understand that mm. your soul's progression through this life mm-hmm. is what's going to determine at the end whether or not it was worth it for you. And now I'll ask you a question. Is this towards the, the, the happiest you've been in a while? Yeah. But, you know, with that said, I, I hit a low point recently. Like the last, like, you know, last few years, I, I, I was incredibly unhappy. You mean recently before we started doing this? Ever since we started. No, yeah, before. <laughs> before. Like, before By I. By the way, I went to full guilt mode. I'm, I'm going, oh my God. You did this to me. <laughs> of course I did. I'm, I'm here to help, and now I. Uh, apparently no, I hurt. It, it was the years. It was years before. Uh, you know, I, I kind of just reached this lull where I was thinking to myself, like, is this it? Like, you know, now I either shit or get off the pot, need to make a decision, need right. to find my passion. And without the direction or hope that your passion is right in front of you mm-hmm. it becomes this really easy to fall sinkhole yeah where i just kind of fell into a depression and uh, yeah so i would say yes to answer your question this is the happiest i've been in a long time because i'm doing something that makes me happy i'm doing something that yeah. makes other people happy and you're also working here which is nice you yeah. come to a job the yeah. same job and it's a job with a, a fun environment so we try to create and it's productive people don't know this i have a pro- uh, productive. I have a production company, and where we sit around to be productive. Yeah, all exactly. <laughs> what are we productive about today? We're doing horror films, comedy, game shows. We're just doing anything creative, and that's the thing that we we have a creator, right? Some people call it God. Some people call it a creator. Whatever you want to call it. So that creator is what's making the creativity, and that's it's manifesting itself in many different avenues. And now you're with the company and. You're kind of like a vice president here at Really Big Shoe Media. It's a brand new title and brand new space that we're in in Westlake, and yes, I sir. love it. I only feel guilt because you have to drive a long way. I here don't you mind. Made, you made this big commitment to go to Hollywood. Now I pulled you back halfway. Yeah, right. Halfway no, I'm to clo- Santa Barbara. I'm closer to Santa Barbara <laughs> at work than I am at home. It's a cruel joke, <laughs> but you know, honestly, it's like that. You said the law of attraction. None of this would have happened if I hadn't uprooted and gone to Hollywood and started searching for things and and yeah discovered that you know oh there's this opportunity in Westlake and I got to jump on it because I'm going to be spending all day learning everything that I came here to do whether it's movies tv acting stand up all of it just in this big package all in one place and I'm super lucky and you it's know, like it's like you this is a great college for you yeah I'm, these are your college these, years these are the college years yeah again. it's like you know 
I'm gonna here we go. You. I'm gonna haze you. I, yeah, make, I, make you drink a lot of we beer. We stuff and me in a locker every other day. It's kind of the same <laughs> shit. Eh? <laughs> Emotionally, I might do that, but I, I went through with the worst hazing when I was in college. I'll, I'll talk about that another time. But uh, I saw you looking at your your uh, phone. I was gonna say watch, but you don't wear one. The kids these days. I still wear a watch all the time. I can. I wear. I, I'm embarrassed. I can't wear a watch because I wear it on the wrong arm. I wear it on my right hand. I'm right-handed. Yeah, that is a thing. Yeah, people make fun of me for it. Yeah, so it's kind of like the earring. I don't know what you. I still don't know which ear is the good ear. Neither. Oh, it's it's not that way anymore. Well, I mean, you. When I was growing, try up, it out. See what happens. Well, it might work for you. It doesn't work for a lot of people. But an earring in my ear is not going to look. I good. had uh, it's growing look up desperate or pirate. No, I know exactly what you mean. I, growing up, I had a, a single earring as well, and long hair, shoulder length purple hair. But didn't all didn't but there was high. a. There was something when I was in high school, and I'm yeah, obviously uh, I, I, I'm not think, obviously not homophobic. It's just a fact. Yeah, it again, was you a, share your it was experience. A descriptor. It, it was, was a, a descriptor that you were gay in one of the ears. I, I can't say this for sure, so don't quote me on this. But I think if you had it in your right ear, that was the one that said, um, "I prefer the company of the same sex." <laughs> <laughs> Notice how tiptoey I got around. Oh, that was very tiptoey. Hey, you know, I'm progressive. It's 2018. I'm, we called it the gay ear. Or the gate. <laughs> he's got a case of the gate. Everybody here. back in high school, he's gay. Yeah, you know it happens, and you know, it, it, and, and the bigger the feather on your topaz earring, the the <laughs> we, more of a statement you're trying to make. We wouldn't say gay. We say mo. He's a mo. That back in Philadelphia. Oh, I've never. Yeah, no. Nah, that, that's we a, have a lot of terms. I'm You'll sure hear Philly them. goes deep with the. Oh, deep. They're deep with. Yeah, he's a mo. And they with the Philly accent. He's a mo. You kidding yeah. me? No, he's I grew. A... <laughs> I grew up in Southern California. It's, it's, it's a whole other world. It's a whole other world. It's 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 been very much neutral and normal for me my whole life. Do you notice energetically? That's a, another thing I teach in comedy. Is it really is about energy. If you can, if you can feel an energy of a crowd. If you can feel your own energy and what you're bringing to the crowd, and if you connect with it, it's a literal connectedness. Yeah, it's. You Do know. you feel a different energy that I have from Philadelphia <laughs> working around me? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's no. It's, you have a. I, I call it Philly, and and, and, around, <laughs> and I don't know if you you probably haven't heard me say this because most of the time you're not around, but I say, oh, his Philly's coming out. <laughs> And it's, it's not a it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just like I said, a descriptor. It's a it's a specific mode that it's a personality trait. It's like yeah, you know. But, but it's it's so strange to me because it's not who I feel like inside. We did an acting exercise many years ago. I'll never forget this. And they they stand in front of you, and you're not allowed to say a word, which is hard, hard for me, very hard. <laughs> so, so picture this: you go in front of each actor in the class or three of them three in a row and they just give feedback on what you're putting out mm -hmm. every one of them each one one at a time each one one at a time Ooh. goes i'm just standing there trying to look vulnerable you look like you're gonna pounce on me <laughs> you don't know codependent i was dying inside then i'm going give him vulnerable eyes vulnerable Look like a kitten. You know, I'm just trying. To, oh man, I'm trying to do that so that they change it up, and then they would double up. They go, "Oh my God, I'm actually afraid of you." <laughs> what the? I'm tender and gentle. That's Philly vulnerable. Is I'm about to kill you. That's what it is. It's the strangest thing, and I don't think that I have it. I've been I've been in L.A., Southern California, longer than I've been in Philadelphia, and it does not come out of me. And it's also that you know I grew up, you know, kind of. Tiny. I was very tiny. I know yeah. I'm six two now, but 
you know, just you, you, you want to fight back and you want to get back at these people that are doing, you know, talk about locker. They hung me by my underwear like a wedgie on the locker. Mm. And they're like, hey, look, it's my art project. Wind chimes. Bang your legs together. They couldn't do that to me. I wouldn't fit in a locker. No, no, you, you would not. <laughs> they give me, they get my legs in there and be like, this isn't working. Let's try something else. But I did. You know, we all got messed with and bullied. I, I, I remember doing some kid's homework for him. Because he would, yeah, he'd pull me aside and, and rough me up and be like, you're doing my fucking homework for me. Really? And so I, and I remember this is hilarious. And I would, I came in the next day with two completed assignments. And, and I didn't even think it through because I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm at home that night being like, gotta do his homework for him or he's gonna kick my ass. And so I'm, I'm like, so what does a gangster's handwriting look like? <laughs> and so I'm at home doing old English, <laughs> an entire math assignment filled out in old English lettering. And I'm like, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly what it looks like. See, you were a bright child without, by the way. Did oh, he, we both failed. I'm did, sure. Oh, I was, was going to say, did, sure. did, I'd like it if you got him better grades. <laughs> no, no, no. Just being forced to have. It was his mistake for making me do it in the first place. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll bet you got him better grades. You because, get what you ask for. Well, yeah, when you have the pressure like that, you go, oh, I've got to, or I'm going to get beat up worse if yeah. I don't get this guy an A. Possibly. No one asked me to do anything like that for them. Maybe hey. in Philly they say, do my sister. That's, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. And then you did an impression of their sister. I do, yeah. Do my sister. I would actually have that a lot. Do Hank. That was Hank was like the local crazy guy. I, I don't know. Oh, I do Hank all the time. Any party. Do you think my face is any thinner since the last time I saw you? Do you think I'm more mature? It's if also Hank good was Ray famous, Romano. I if oh, that's a... oh, Ray's more like this. I've golfed with him. He's very slow. Wait till you hear both of those in playback. Hey, no, to... come on. The other one. <laughs> By the way, speaking of voices and impressions, we were talking to Siri, me and Ryan O'Quinn, who's here in, in the studio with us. We'll have him as a guest very soon. He and I were on a double date with our wives driving to a concert, and we had our phones in front of us on the console. And each one of us tried to get Siri to recognize the voice. <laughs> they were right next to each other. Could not get it. Would His phone would not go on. I would go, I'd try to go, hey, Siri. You know, he's a little Southern. <laughs> I love, I got, so. A little Southern? That's a little Southern? I, got, I love hey, your impression of Ryan. It's so far off. <laughs> I, 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 well, listen, I tried all versions. I tried heavy Southern. I was like, hey, Siri. I mean, I was trying everything. And nothing, it would not recognize my voice. And then he, his, this is him doing me. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri, I'm from Philadelphia. I want you to turn on right now. And I was like, Ryan, please tell me I don't sound like that. <laughs> but it didn't turn on, though. Siri did not recognize his voice. Oh, so we both still have both failed. It has never worked where Siri listens to us and responds to the Well, other challenge phone. accepted. Because now I'm going to try and get your phone to listen to me. Really? Well, your voice is... I don't do impressions, but I... You're gonna try to, I'm gonna, try to try to imitate I'm, me. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to imitate Craig. I don't know if you guys. Oh damn, that's probably terrible. I'm gonna play that back for you. As long as, <laughs> as, long as you're playing back my my fail my oh, failure. Oh, it's all happening in playback. Oh, <laughs> well, listen. I hope you all enjoy the playback of this. this is the first podcast. Actually, it might not be. We might make this like the number six. It might not even ever air. We might air this in two years. Just, yeah. just as a, as who, a, who knows? Yeah, you'll be like the headliner. I'll be the opener. Replay. A yeah. classic replay. You know, uh, Cody Loggins at one time, uh, he was not the headliner. Craig was, and now Craig's the opener. It could happen. I opened for your dad. We'll this a, is we'll all a full circle. Story, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. I'll tell the stories about your dad another time. 
This has been the first uh, Craig Shoemaker Can I Help You podcast that we hope we helped you today. And uh, for whatever it was, I don't know. Life. Life. Yeah, we helped with some yeah, life stuff. Well, you helped me. And that, that a little comedy stuff, a little, uh, poverty stuff. And this is how Craig stuff. helped me. <laughs> All right, y'all enjoy your day. Uh, see you next time. Laughterheels.org. Go give it a visit. Check it out. See how you can support it's a nonprofit organization which offers grins, giggles, and guffaws, raises the awareness of the healing powers of laughter, working in aftercare facilities, hospitals, wound warriors, cancer patients, rehabs. Well, just about everybody needs laughter. We're here to spread it around. It is the best medicine, so just open up and say ha ha. This episode was brought to you by laughterheals.org. How was that for my announcery, advertising, promotion voice? Afterheels.org. Thank you.